This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. We've got a packed show for you guys today. LSU coming off of a a really brutal performance on the Plains against Auburn, losing 48-11. We're going to discuss where LSU goes from here as they enter the open date before Alabama. We've already talked with Ed Ogeron today, who updated where things stand with Miles Brennan. And let's jump into that. Shay Dixon joins me on the Go 24-7 podcast. Shay, Ed Ogeron, let people know that it's not a done deal, certainly that Miles Brennan will return for the Alabama game. He's going to monitor it as things continue to play out. Until then, it's going to be TJ Finley and Max Johnson and battling it out uh, in practice for the most part. Miles Brennan's going to return a, a little bit to throw the ball on Monday, he said. But for now, we're just trying to follow this backup quarterback battle still. Yeah, and the thing we, – we know this now is that the update on Brennan is that there is no real update that – We've seen him dressed out, or at least with the team on the sidelines and kind of tossing it around pregame, um, but he hasn't been close to playing. And we know that injury is still lingering from uh, the hit at halftime in Missouri. He's now missed South Carolina and Auburn. They had a bye week mixed into there um, from when the Florida game got postponed. Now they're on another bye week. Uh, like you said, Orgeron said he'll practice a little today. They'll have Tuesday completely off. They'll try to practice on Wednesday, Thursday, and then they'll have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off and then be back, uh, what, Monday for the start of, of what is really, you know, when Bama week begins, even though both teams are on bye right now. So he's not probably going to do a ton over the next week, and they'll reevaluate it next Monday, and then you'll see if he can get closer and closer. But even then, I think or you're nervous if he takes a hit, what happens? How far along is he really? How much pain is he having to play through to, to kind of really up his threshold? Because you know he wants to play, but how close is he to actually playing and, and I think until we actually get there and we hear some real concrete evidence that he is going to be out there we should probably move the focus to the two freshmen and that's what uh, Ed Orgeron said he said look we've now got some game film on both of them and Billy pointed out it's different than before when we named TJ the starter because they said we had had him in practices only they had never taken a college snap it was a neck and neck competition and TJ looked great versus Bama or excuse me versus um, South Carolina but then again, it was a dead even 250-250 split run and pass. Well, South Carolina, Kevin Steele came after him uh, early and often. They didn't, the line didn't play well. The run game never got going. And Finley ultimately turned the ball over three times and, and got benched, two of the turnovers leading uh, to touchdowns and points. So we saw Max Johnson. Max Johnson played well. Um, he didn't play as lights out as Finley did in his first game. Uh, but LSU was playing from behind. They were having to throw it. Um, you know, Johnson did what he could, but that's brought us to here. And Billy, I'm really curious is Orgeron said, okay, we're back to a battle. Had TJ played great, it was his job, but he didn't. And Max went in and played well. And, and now we're going to try him to figure out with both of them. And he said, 
One of his fixes for the offense was getting creative with the quarterbacks. How are you splitting their reps over this next two weeks ahead of Bama? Do you, you do need to just give them all to somebody? If you're going to pick TJ, give him all the first-team reps. Or do you continue to split it 50-50? And are you trying to get yourself in a spot maybe where this creative with the quarterbacks means mixing them both in? At least maybe you start TJ and then you bring Max in on some, some plays or for some packages or whatever it might be to shake things up. I don't know the answer. I'm speculating, but – it seems to me that they're going to have to think long and hard about what to do at quarterback uh, because, once again, they're back to square one of saying, is it Finley or is it Max Johnson? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the give somebody most of the reps, if not all of them in a way, you know, at, at a certain point. I think you want this thing decided really going into game week, and, and you've just got to make that decision. Now you've seen both Max Johnson and TJ Finley in for an extended amount of time, I think, in my opinion, they should they should have gone to Max Johnson really far earlier than they did to give give him even more opportunities to show what he's got. But I think the big thing for me was the turnovers that TJ Finley had. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, I think as they like when they went down the field at times against South Carolina, things kind of got dicey. He had that interception against uh, South Carolina that was pretty bad, um, and I don't know if it was a miscommunication or what. But then you know the turnovers against Auburn. They really got after him. Like you said, Kevin Steele came up with a great game plan, uh, but you know, Bama's not going to be any easier. They just shut out Mike Leach for the first time in his head coaching career. Granted, the Bulldogs are not as good as they looked against LSU in week one, but at this point, if I had to call it today, I would give the ball to Max Johnson. And I just think you've gone to TJ Finley in a big game. Whatever their game plan was going into Auburn, it didn't work. Uh, it certainly didn't really help him. Uh, in terms of being able to be set up to to succeed, I think either to an extent, but the turnovers are what I think caught my eye. For them to have any sort of chance against Alabama, they can't turn the ball over like that. And you know, Max Johnson came in and played well, and I think he'd have the best chance to beat Alabama. So that's why I'd go with him. I just felt like he played a clean enough game that he that he earned it. He earned it on the road uh, in in you know not you know ninety thousand people at Jordan Hare Stadium, but. Uh, certainly played well enough, I think, to get the nod at least uh, going into the Alabama game. We'll we'll find out, obviously, how they handle this going forward. But I would think by the end of this week, you know, going into the weekend, you want to have your quarterback picked because you have to have a, a as much time and preparation as possible with him at the helm to, you know, have any sort of sh- shot of, of, you know, beating Alabama next week uh, or not next week, but on November 14th, 5 o'clock Central. Uh, on CBS and you know another another update I think people wanted was and and people are kind of out for blood and and to an extent rightfully so is on Bo Pelini would he move to the box and call call plays from up top well no he's not going to do that Ed Ogeron said and uh, people wanted to know if there were staff changes coming and people were kind of caught off guard by the bi-week press conference to begin with being on Monday but Look, it, there's a lot to fix on this LSU defense. Uh, no update on, on Bo Pelini's status. Ed Ogeron said he would reevaluate that type of stuff after the season. But uh, I think – and, and you, you had a great question on the press conference in terms of uh, what needs to change or what looks to be one of the issues. But, uh, I, I mean, I don't know how you fix this defense because right now they're not getting anything done. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things that need to be addressed from lack of energy to – uh, when Orgeron went through his breakdown on what all the fixes need to be, he said defensively, 
what he's focused on on the bye week. If he were to just start picking them off the top of his head in this order, he said gap fits, physicality, being in the right place, eye discipline. So that's just some of them. You've, you've got so many things, whether it's even technique-wise, but scheme-wise, and is it personnel-wise, do you need to get more guys in there in different spots? I thought the Baskerville play at middle linebacker was a good one, and he certainly looked the best they've looked this year at middle linebacker. Do you need more of that moving? Uh, for instance, they moved um, P.J. Jalari, a true freshman, into the starting lineup opposite Ali Gay uh, and in place of Andre Anthony, uh, and he played well. Uh, do you continue to feel out personnel moves? Whatever it is, figure it out these next two weeks. And I don't think they're beating Bama, but continue to figure it out uh, the week after that and, and bring fixes to the field. And I just think, and, and I'll touch on this more at the end of this segment, but that energy is such a big thing right now. It just doesn't look like any of the guys care. And I know that they do. And, and I know that guys want to be on the team and, and value certainly playing high college football at this level, but how much? Because right now it doesn't look like it. And they don't have any leaders stepping up saying, uh, look, it's me or it's um, this is how we get it fixed or, or I'm not going to take laughing on the sidelines and kind of basically joking around and not really caring when it's 42 to three on the road and you're losing an SEC game like that, like in no world is Auburn in 2020, 37 points better than LSU. They don't have this kind of horses on their team. They're not burrowing them. They made Bo Nix look like that, but they're not. So you have so many different things from just how they take the field to what's actually happening when they're out there. But we do know this, Pelini's not going anywhere. And I said it multiple times and, he says, what he says is, I'm going to give all the coaches through the season. I'll evaluate it after the season. The reality of it is they paid him $6.9 million on a contract. You ain't buying that out right now. Now that buyout drops after the season. If you want to revisit an actual change at DC, you're doing it then. You're in a budget crunch. Uh, you're two and three. You're not having boosters hand you money uh, hand over foot like you would have hoped after a 15 and 0 season in national championship. They're not making, in my opinion, some wholesale change like that halfway through the season when I'm not sure what are you going to name an interim DC. The guys are just, even then, when they're put in the right position, aren't making plays. They're not physical. They don't tackle well. And again, back to just the energy level. So they're not moving him to the box. They're not moving him to, you know, Tigerland during the games and not letting him coach. He'll be the coach. They've got to figure out between coaching and what's happening on the field what the issue is. I agree with you. But, you know, a lot of people would send them to Tigerland, though. So maybe that's something that should be asked. Everybody on the board and everybody on Twitter is wanting the, the tough questions asked. Uh, so maybe maybe it's it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe just putting them in Tigerland for, for uh, you know, some of these games down the stretch, Shay. Well, at least there you could drink. And I'd actually rather be in Tigerland with how things have gone off uh, the first few games that I've had to watch here. So maybe that's a good idea for all of us. We'll just all go and cover it. And just be on the headsets, call and plays from Tigerland. Well, yeah, that that that's the easy easy out. But uh, we're stuck uh, covering the second half of this season uh, for LSU, and it's, I mean, gosh, it's not going to get any prettier with Mac Jones and Alabama coming into Tiger Stadium. And I, and I know it, it's kind of funny because not funny at all, but LSU Auburn is always a game that, for the most part, both teams gets get get up for. Uh, it's always a tough, hard-fought battle. Last year, Auburn played LSU about as well as anyone. And you could say the same about the LSU-Alabama game, but you know, I, I, this is my fifth year covering LSU, and Shay, you've been around a lot longer than I have. Is there any worse situation than, 
and what they're going into, or at least welcoming uh, Alabama into Tiger Stadium in a couple weeks? Well, no, no, because they're. How do you look at this and say, first off, that they're going to win? You look at the remaining five games and you say, where are they going to win? So, with Alabama coming to town, who looks uh, who's five and zero, who looks great on offense, who is coming around on defense. Uh, they've had their mishaps, but they also still just keep on chugging. And I don't see right now. You toss in. I'm going to say if you're Nick Saban and you saw LSU do what they did in 2019, 15-0, national champs, came into your building and won, um, roll tide what, locker room talk, beating you on the field, beating you in your recruiting. They felt like they had Sage Ryan locked up. You take Sage Ryan. There is no hold bar, no holds barred uh, on both these sides, obviously. But, boy, Alabama, Nick Saban's got a few more weapons uh, in his arsenal right now and his team certainly believing in themselves and playing well. So. People were asking me, like, what's like a legit – I mean, look, I hope for our podcast listeners and for LSU, uh, like my wife works there. I hope for her. Uh, I hope for me having to cover it and sit through it and, and manage the board. I hope LSU wins. They could lose this game like 70-something to whatever they have, which might not be a lot. And I say that, and like you said, uh, it's funny, but it's actually it's not funny at all. I say that dead seriously. Like, I'm very interested to see what the line on this game is because – Bama's putting up 60, 50, 60 a week, whatever it is. That's what LSU gives up to teams that ain't Bama. It's Missouri and Auburn, Bo Nix, and Mississippi State with a quarterback who doesn't even start anymore. And they, don't, they think Mississippi State has not even scored as many combined points in all of their games as they did on LSU. I don't see the help coming. So just defensively alone, they're going to get waxed. If they look – and I'll say this, if they play with the energy they played on Saturday against Auburn and they execute like they did on Saturday against Auburn, they drop balls and don't play well on the O-line and your quarterback's out of funk and your defense just doesn't have it together on the ground game or through the air, it'll be 70-something to whatever, to 15 or 14, whatever they get. And I never thought I would have said that in a season like this one. Yeah, a lot of weapons for Alabama. I would have to think the line has to be something like 35, but we'll we'll take a look at it when it comes out, uh, probably whenever it does at this point. But anyway, we're going to move on to a little bit brighter conversation, I think, on the other side of this break from the Go 24-7 podcast. We talked about Alabama having the players uh, certainly take it to LSU. LSU got a pair of commitments over the weekend, and certainly one of them uh, is going to be a part of many LSU-Alabama games uh, for years to come, and we'll do that on the other side of this break from the Go 24-7 podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast welcome back to the go 24 7 podcast thanks for listening guys a quick reminder to leave us a rating and leave us a review and also subscribe to the podcast we appreciate all you guys who have already done that and if you were subscribed to Go 24-7 last week, you were probably on edge the entire week uh, as really Sage Ryan announced Tuesday that he was going to be making his commitment on Saturday. And when we dove down into that one, Shay, it was um, it was not looking good early on for LSU to keep the number one safety in the country in the state of Louisiana. But Ed Ogeron said it today on his uh, press conference, his Zoom call, Got to give Kevin Fogg, Corey Raymond, Derek Namsky a lot of credit uh, in the pursuit of Sage Ryan uh, because it was a wild goose chase, but ultimately LSU landed the commitment of uh, Kevin Fox's cousin and uh, 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 Trev Fox's nephew on Saturday when he picked LSU over Clemson and Alabama. Yeah, and we've talked about this so much on the board and in the days since and, and how LSU was able to really buckle in. I think I sum it up best by saying this is that when he set the decision date and revealed that, I think it was Monday night and, and obviously through Tuesday when we debate, began debating it, um, that Alabama was the choice. And LSU had, look, you throw in Kevin Falk, Trev Falk, playing in Lafayette, playing at LCA, um, being a guy that his first big offer was LSU, being recruited by the staff for two to three years. They never thought he was going to go anywhere else. And that's not to say they didn't recruit him, but they never got down in the weeds with him. They didn't feel like they needed to. And it wasn't until – Suddenly, and, and we even heard rumblings of it coming out of the Alabama camp about a week prior to him actually setting up the announcements, which I think is what, you know, now it makes sense as to why we were hearing it is that behind the scenes, Bama was recruiting him hard. And then they realized, oh, wait, we're not just in it. He's, he wants to come here and, and it looks like he's in for it. And as soon as he said, hey, look, I'm committing Saturday and LSU realized, oh, wait, this, this might not be us. And at the time it wasn't. Uh, they doubled down. And, and as Many sources we spoke to said uh, they took the gloves off. Kevin Falk got in there as both the coach, uh, you know, that he committed to um, at LSU, the, being the running backs coach and, and being someone who was instrumental in recruiting Sage and then uh, being a family member. And, and that's where Trev Falk came in and shared his experiences of uh, through life and playing. Look, he played for Saban and left LSU early, um, which became rather public with him and Saban not being on the same page. So 
I think that the emotion we saw out of the decision on Saturday, which was at the end of the day, the only people sitting up there were Sage, his mom, and Trev Falk. And as soon as he said LSU, <clears throat> the tears started flowing from all three of them. Trev Falk had like the actual, like he takes off his like black jacket or whatever, and he was like actually wearing his old like game worn, just total G status number seven jersey, where like back in the day, Billy, before our time even. Uh, where you're ironing on the names instead of just like actually having them stitched on there. And it was all worn, worn off and just completely uh, probably had blood, you know, still stained into it. You could see what it meant to Trev Falk uh, for his uh, nephew and for a member of his family to, to go to LSU to carry on that legacy. And, and LSU did what they needed to do. But yeah, there were some tense moments leading all the way up until decision day when they said, Hey, look, we felt good now for 24, 48 hours and it's going to be us, but, is it going to be us? Are we kind of being tooled around here? And, and the answer ultimately was no. And, uh, and that it indeed was LSU. And, and this is a big get for them because, and we'll let's spend just a minute on this, throw out the whole wild week that it was. He's a need for them. Their DBs right now are not DBU. Nothing to write home about for me. Uh, and look, Derek Singler's played well in spots. He's not played up to his expectation. He'll never say that my first five games or what I wanted to put out on, on tape the whole time. And, and we've seen other guys struggle. So knowing that some of those guys are going to be gone from the team this year to next year, you need DB help. And whether it's at corner, safety, nickel, I, I think ultimately he is a safety. But however you want to play him, I think he's going to be playing next year. Yeah, he can play wherever in the secondary. Just get him on the field. Find a way to get him involved because he is that good. And um, I talked with Trev Falk leading up to the decision just about Sage in general and 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 where he fits. I mean, he's been playing some linebacker for LCA, so he he's fearless. He plays really hard. And, and I think the thing about this, and and we kind of mentioned this in terms of our reasoning. And it's good to talk this out too. And we'll post. I'll post some notes on on this and just kind of the thought process that we had throughout the week. But you know, we heard the LSU confidence. We also heard the Alabama confidence in response to LSU's confidence. And we heard it Friday. And then you you get up on Saturday and both sides are still confident. And so one, I think above all, everything else, the biggest thing we can take away is, look, when Bama feels confident in Louisiana now, I think we can close, not close the book on it because it is recruiting and you never know what happens. Uh, you know, Eric Gilbert showed that. But if LSU's feeling as confident as they were about a, a, a recruit like Sage Ryan, who for all intents and intents purposes was going to commit to Alabama uh, when he at least set his decision date, uh, they stepped up, they got him done. And look, that confidence is something we can't sleep on anymore. And, um, you know, I, I, I just got to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff for that. Yeah, big credit to the coaching staff. Look, they went toe-to-toe, and they pulled from behind to back into the lead, and and I think that they're sitting in a good spot with Mason Smith. Uh, so you've locked up a couple of those guys. We'll see what happens with Brian Thomas. He's so quiet that I don't think anybody really has a great grip on how far one team might be ahead of the next or behind the next, and and I think we'll see that continue to play out. But uh, they've done a good job. I, look, I like that. I liked the ability to to beat Bama head to head like that, even if it was one that you said, okay, you should have always ended up at LSU. They responded. And if you go out and lock up Mason Smith, then that's a, I mean, he's the number one player in the state right now across the ranking services. That's big, but you've also locked up some of the other key players, Hilton, Savion Jones. Uh, and then you look at 
still being in the mix for Brian Thomas, having Sage Ryan on board, getting ahead on Walker Howard and guys next year. I think it's one of those things where I'm impressed by the recruiting they've done. And I think they deserve the kudos for it. And locking up Butte and Roy and Guillory last year was big. And, and perhaps we can move forward knowing that it's no longer a given that every time Bama wants a kid in Louisiana, they get him. Uh, that narrative certainly had been shaped by a lot of recruiting battles over the years, but uh, not so much over the past two years. And that's a good thing for LSU. And we move on to another player that committed over the weekend and Jack Besh uh, out of St. Thomas Moore, teammate of Walker Howard, LSU's 2022 quarterback commit and one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And he's showing that in his junior year. Uh, but Jack is now on board in the 2021 class. And another one where, he, you know, he was going to go check out Texas this weekend, but uh, opted to go ahead and call up LSU and commit and make it public and do all those things. And look, when he picked up the offer, we, we felt like Jack Bash was going to jump on board. And he did that. And he's a versatile pass catcher, probably could end up very well playing some tight end or at least like a hybrid wide out tight end. Uh, he's about 6'2", maybe a shade above about 215 right now. So he's got some size to him. He's, he's physically de developed and he's been one of the best receivers in the state of Louisiana this year. So a nice pickup to keep one of the state's best uh, at home. Yeah, I look, I really like Besh as a player. And I think that being able to have that sort of production at a high level at STM the past two seasons is telling. He's a really good football player. And you want guys that if you watch the game on Saturday and you said, where are the guys that care? This is one of them. He's a legacy. He's like Sage Ryan. He's going to come in. He's going to know what it means to wear an LSU jersey. He's talked about it being a childhood dream. Uh, this one made a lot of sense. But I also am, look, I, I think Besh can be a player. And six, two and a half, right now probably 210, but he can put on weight. Is he a tight end? Is he a receiver? Do you just kind of play him as, as both in times almost because he's such a willing blocker or uh, do you make a commitment to bulking him up and being a tight end? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him either. Um, but I do like, and he's coming in as a receiver, that they went ahead and got this done because, it's, yeah, he was committed to Vandy. As soon as LSU offered, so did Texas, TCU, Mississippi State, Notre Dame. So teams were waiting and saying, hey, look, this is a guy we like. If, it, if uh, we had the spots in the back end, uh, let's make a move on him. And uh, everyone did. And, and I love that, yes, LSU's got three top 100 receivers already committed and they're going all in on Brian Thomas. But if you wanted four receivers, make sure you got them. And now getting Jack Besh, you got him. And if you if Brian Thomas wants in, well then you got him too. But if not, you're not left at the altar then looking back and saying, damn, we didn't get Brian Thomas and we also didn't get Jack Besh. We probably should have offered him early on. Uh, he ended up going elsewhere. So I like this move. I like them getting it done now. I'm in the same boat as you and uh, all right now let's let's turn to uh, some of the, the I would call them the big four down the stretch, right? I mean, you mentioned Brian Thomas. You mentioned Mason Smith. I think LSU sits in a really good spot with Mason Smith still. That's probably probably the player I'm at least most confident right now that ends up at LSU out of the four we're going to talk about. Uh, but let's move outside of the state of Louisiana. Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country out of California, uh, has been somebody that has picked up some LSU steam on the crystal ball front from Steve Wiltfong and Greg Biggins. Uh, and then five-star offensive tackle, Tristan Lay, who's was on campus back-to-back -back weekends. LSU uh, certainly had the crystal ball lead there for a bit. Oklahoma's picked up some steam with him. Ohio State is somebody uh, to watch. But the latest crystal ball pick, D. 
did go to Oklahoma, even with a low confidence. Um, but LSU for those two out-of-state players, and look, I think Tristan Lee is by far the biggest need in this class, um, maybe outside of Sage Ryan uh, for LSU, but certainly on the offensive side of the ball, he's he's the top player uh, on the board for me, and, and he's a must, must land for LSU. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I think that, boy, I'm looking at all all four of these guys. And we talked about Brian Thomas already, and and I think he could go to A&M or LSU or Bama, um, and we'll see what happens there. But I'm with you. I feel the most confident about Mason Smith, um, if we're just talking about this group of four. Uh, but I also feel like they're real – I think they've got a really strong case, more than Georgia, that they're the team to beat for Corey Foreman. And Foreman sees Andre Anthony's leaving. Uh, he sees that Mary's in his senior year, obviously. Uh, that guys like uh, B.J. Gelari have played as true freshmen and played really well. And and I think that he sees he can come in and, and play early and, and make an impact on a team that um, is coming off a national championship. That, as O said, they are going to be competing for championships. And won't be this year, um, but when guys like Farman get to campus, they'll have some better fortune, I'm sure, uh, on Saturdays. So I like their chances with those guys. And I've got a crystal ball pick on Mason Smith, the LSU, and I'm not far from one on Foreman. Uh, to LSU. I'd like to see how things continue to pan out. But if you're throwing out all geographical stuff, you're a thousand percent right. Tristan Lee is the biggest target left. And that's not a knock on the other guys. It's a knock on the reality that LSU hasn't been recruiting elite five-star offensive tackles. And they've got some D linemen who can play. They Every week we wonder, okay, who's going to be an offensive tackle? It's not Dare now. Okay, it's Cam Wire. Well, how's he going to look? And they've had Austin Dekos now in that spot for a third year now. They haven't had to wonder who the right tackle is. Well, who have you got behind them? You haven't been reeling out five stars. You had Marcus Dumerville a year ago. I think he was the number 12 offensive tackle in the country. You've got Garrett Dellinger now. I think he's the number 11 or 12 offensive tackle in the country. But when are you going to clip off that number one or two or three guy? And that's what Tristan Lee is. And he's someone who can come in and, and play, compete to play right away, Billy. But also, if he wins a job, he's a three-year starter for you. And that's an Austin Deculus type, except he's a guy who's going to play left tackle and, and really come out of high school as a five-star. And is a guy who, even in high school, three years has never given up a sack. So it's a must. And they have to find a way to beat Oklahoma for him and sell him on the reality that they absolutely have to have him. Couldn't have said it better myself, uh, for sure, on any of those guys. I think they've uh, got to get Corey Foreman back on campus. And Tristan Lee seems like he's still going to take some more visits. We'll see what happens with the official visits after the season, uh, with the dead period being extended through December 31st. If all those guys are still out there running around looking to, uh, you know, take visits and, and make decisions, I mean, that's a good thing for LSU. So um, we'll kind of have to continue to follow that one. But I think an emerging trend, and Jack Besh kind of started it. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this, Matthew Langlois really started it, started it. But the chance for LSU to finish out with some in-state prospects uh, in this recruiting class and keep some of these guys at home to maybe shore up the roster with – some players that might not be uh, inclined to leave as quickly as maybe some of the other out-of-state guys have transferred uh, and stick around and develop and be program guys. Uh, Shay, we you had a great you know few names in the Tiger Wrap that you dropped on Go Twenty Four Seven. Highlight one of those that you could see staying in the state of Louisiana, and then uh, I'll do one, and it'll be on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a bunch of options. I, and I, <laughs> I'd be close to picking Jordan Gilbert because I think they need safeties. He's in Baton Rouge. He's really talented. He's viewed at least by 24-7 sports as a top-10 safety in the country. So I like Jordan Gilbert. I think he's a fit. 
I just I'll pick Logan Diggs, and I'm saying this out of Rummel. Um, plays running back, linebacker, committed to Notre Dame right now. I just keep hearing his name mentioned, and when it comes to LSU circles and them evaluating him and them talking to him, and I just think if push comes to shove and they've got open spots and they miss on um, you know a couple of these top targets, or maybe we see some guys back out of the class and spots are available that uh, that they like Logan Diggs, and I don't know. I just feel like a they liked Besh and Langwan, guys like that. I heard a lot about them too, and they got offers. So uh, I'll pick Diggs. No offer yet, but I wouldn't rule it out. I'm going to go the other side of the ball, and and this one might be one where people would look them up and and say, really, that should that would be your pick. Uh, but I'm going to go with uh, Jarrell Boykins Jr. Uh, he's somebody that's got offers from Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas. I think with if you look at, all right, you've got Mason Smith, who's clearly your number one like defensive tackle. You've got Corey Foreman, who's, who's certainly out there. And then they've got Anthony Hundley committed, and that's really it. But I think when you look at the need, that will be a position that they feel like they probably have to address. Uh, and he's got some good size to him. Uh, with those offers, he's been obviously pretty, fairly highly touted. Uh, but I think he's playing well as a senior. He's somebody that is pretty disruptive. I mean, his junior tape is good as well. And I think when push comes to shove and and who knows how maybe some attrition comes uh, from this class, but let's say, you know, maybe Anthony Hundley does go elsewhere and Gerald, Gerald Boykins is is pretty good fit to to land in the class, I think, and, and add some depth, be somebody that could be developed uh, and certainly add some size to the middle of the 4-3 defense. And, you know, they go from a 3-4 to a 4-3 and, and you need defensive tackles. And I, I think they signed a, a really good crop uh, last year in 2020. But uh, in 2021, it, it wouldn't shock me if you needed to go get not only Mason Smith, but somebody like Jarrell Boykins as well. No, I like that pick. That, that'd be up there for me as well. And we've heard both these guys' names mentioned uh, from the staff as guys they are seriously evaluating and talking with. So it'll be worth keeping an eye on. No doubt. Well, we've got a lot to keep our eye on as uh, we approach LSU Alabama two weeks from now. We've got uh, a ton of coverage coming on Go 24-7. A lot to reset I think with both the team and recruiting as early signing period is now just over a month away and certainly a big matchup for LSU wanting to bounce back from the loss to Auburn as Alabama comes to Tiger Stadium on November 14th we'll have all of that covered for you on go 24 7 guys but for now we're gonna wrap up this edition of the podcast hope everybody has a great week uh no LSU game this weekend so just keep it locked on go 24 7 for plenty of recruiting news and to hear from uh, the Tigers later in the week as well uh, in terms of what they've been working on, how they're trying to address the issues and things like that. So we will uh, catch you guys next time on the podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.